Neil said the reading is John chapter 11, page 1077 in the Church Bible. The death of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Jesus comforts the sisters. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come from Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, 
she went back and called her sister, Mary, aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. Thanks very much, Steve. It's a long passage, but uh, you read it very well. <laughs> well, a recent survey carried out by the um, Dying Matters Coalition um, revealed that an amazing 83% of people feel uncomfortable about discussing dying and death. Claire Henry, Chief Executive of the Coalition, says, Dying is one of life's few certainties, but many of us appear to be avoiding discussing it or in denial altogether. And yet there are loads of quotes about death. If you go online, there you can find all sorts of things. Many are actually quite humorous. Um, Somerset Maughan said this, Death is a very dull, dreary affair, and my advice to you is to have nothing whatsoever to do with it. Or Susan Earth, who said, um, Millions long for immortality, who don't know what to do with themselves on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Some are actually quite 
quite helpful, not necessarily from Christians, but uh, helpful things like uh, Angelina Jolie says there's something about death that is comforting. The thought that you could die tomorrow frees you to appreciate your life now. Or Albert Pike, what we have done for ourselves alone dies with us. What we have done for others in the world remains immortal. Or death or possible death is often used by God to awaken us spiritually or to help us grow in our faith in him. We're doing a short series in the evenings on lives changed by Christ and last week we saw from Acts 16 how three very different people had their lives changed dramatically by Christ in different ways. There was the, uh, the businesswoman Lydia uh, who was changed as Paul and his companions talked to her from the word of, of God. The slave girl who was saved by an act of kindness as Paul um, released her from demon possession. And then the Philippian jailer who was changed as he saw the godly response of Paul and Silas to that very unjust treatment that they'd received. Well this evening we see two sisters grieving the loss of their beloved brother Lazarus. And we're going to see how Jesus uses the death of Lazarus to help them grow in their faith. So who are these uh, characters first of all? They're three siblings, a brother Lazarus, uh, two sisters, Mary, um, who we're told um, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord's feet, um, and Martha. They live in the, uh, the village of Bethany, which is a couple of miles outside Jerusalem. And we're told that Jesus is good friends with uh, all three of them. Um, which is interesting, it reveals a side of him which you don't often think about. In his humanity, he has friends, you know. Um, he didn't have friends, then in many ways that is part of what it is to be fully human, isn't it? Well, when Jesus gets the news that his friend Lazarus is ill, he's a couple of days' journey away, up in Galilee. And um, his response when he gets the news is actually quite surprising. He says, the illness will not end in death. And instead of rushing back to, to heal him, he remains where he is for another couple of days. But we'll come back to the reason for that shortly. It might not end in death, but Lazarus does die, as we've just heard, and his sisters are about to be changed through his death. So what does this passage teach us about death? And how can it help us to grow in our faith? Well, the first thing I think that comes out from this passage is that death is a tragedy. When we lose someone who is dear to us, what is it we need? We need comfort. And we're told here in verse 19, the many Jews have come to, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Or later on in verse 31, when the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now different cultures mourn in different ways. Uh, the picture here is um, one from, from our own culture. Um, it's quite a private thing. People are quiet and reflected. Um, in funeral services, people speak in hushed tones. Their tears are discreetly wiped away. People don't express their emotions um, externally very much. But in the culture of Jesus Day, in the culture of many places, um, around the world even today mourning is a very public and allowed thing uh, there's much weeping there's much wailing but whatever culture we are in however we express our emotion we still need comfort whether it's a communal thing 
And there are loads of people around, or whether it's a smaller circle or a close um, family unit. And God is a God of comfort. As it says in 2 Corinthians, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What is the reaction of Jesus when he is in the situation? How does that help us in our attitude towards death? Because each sister goes to him in turn when he arrives, eventually. Uh, so it's Martha and then Mary. And both say to him exactly the same thing. Didn't you pick that up? They say to him, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds a bit like an accusation. I don't know whether it's meant to be. And then maybe the Martha um, realises when this when she says, uh, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus' response to the two sisters is quite different. We're going to look at um, them the other way around. We're going to look at Mary first, even though he meets with Martha first. Uh, because Mary seems very much more emotional. She falls at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. And it's her weeping, the weeping of all the other Jews around that causes Jesus to join in with them. And so we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now you may ask yourself, why does Jesus weep? After we know that he's going to, to bring him back from, from death, you'd expect him to say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. You don't need to weep. And uh, not in a way that some people will tell those with a serious illness, just to try and comfort them by telling them, it's okay, it's all going to be okay. Um, even though they have no idea whether it really is going to be okay or not. Now Jesus knows that he will bring Lazarus back from the dead. So why did he weep? I think the clue is in verse 33, where it says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And as um, John Carson and other commentators point out, this translation gives actually quite a misleading impression, because deeply moved gives the impression he's just very upset. But... The real meaning, I think, here is quite different. The translation in one Greek dictionary is to snort as an expression of anger. It's deeply moved, but in the sense of being outraged. This is violent displeasure, it says. And the same way that Paul was, he was disturbed, he was outraged last week, we looked out with a slave girl and this demon possession went and commanded that demon to come out of her. Jesus here is outraged at death. He's angry at death. He's angry at the grief it causes. And we can't get away from the fact that death is a terrible thing. Not just the suffering that people go through before they die, but the separation that it causes. We are separated from the ones we love. It puts a terrible barrier between us. And to say he or she is just in the next room or um, looking down on us doesn't actually help. It's not taught in the Bible. The Bible makes it clear in Hebrews that people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So what is our response to death as Christians? Now, yes, we have hope. And Alan talked about that hope earlier and we'll come on to that shortly. And that is the reason why Christian funerals are very different, aren't they, from Christians of those who are not believers. But that doesn't mean that they're not also sad occasions. There are times to mourn, to grieve, and, uh, and getting that balance right is, is, is a challenge sometimes. And 
Jeff's done that very well over the years, as you know. But let's come on to the hope because Jesus is angry at death, he's outraged at death, but he does something about it. And the next point I want to make is that the tragedy of death is overcome through belief in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Jesus' response to Martha. Have a look in verse 23. This is what he says to her. He says, your brother will rise again. Now Martha thinks he's just referring to the resurrection of all people on the last day. Um, she hasn't yet understood where does Jesus fit into to all that. But Jesus says something quite strange there. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Oh, they're familiar words, aren't they? We hear them at funerals. I remember when they were read at my own father's funeral and they really came to life for me. They really gave me um, a comfort as the full significance of those words hit home because what Jesus is saying is that death is not the end. Death, death does not have the final word. Jesus conquers death. He brings life. And he will do that through his own resurrection. But why I am the resurrection and the life? Why not I will bring resurrection and life or something like that? Well, I guess it's the same reason why the Bible says Jesus is the light of the world. He brings light into the darkness. But he's also the source of that light. Well, God is love. God is loving but he's also the source of love and Jesus is the source of life he's the one who makes it possible for us to overcome death and enjoy eternal life he is God's answer to mankind's biggest problem but what Jesus wants to make clear here now with Martha is how she can be sure she will enjoy eternal life and the key there is in the word believe because Jesus says the one who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die just to make this absolutely sure for Martha he says do you believe this this is the truth Martha but do you believe this for yourself yes Lord she says I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. There's another conversation that you remember with, with Peter um, when Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? And he says, but who do you say that I am, Peter? He says, you are the Messiah. We turn to the end of John's Gospel and briefly turn to John uh, chapter 20, 26. Actually, the, chapter 20, verse 30. As Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name it is belief in Jesus that enables us to have life and for Martha this would have been a reassurance you know like Peter she would have known who Jesus was but had it spelled out that if you believe in me you will have life. To have known that a brother believed in him and would have life would have been a great comfort. In many ways, that is the greatest comfort that we can give people when a close person to them who is a believer has died. 
It's also a question we really need to ask people who are close to death, those um, who we don't know where they really stand. To ask them, do they know where they're going? And on what basis they think they might be going there? If they think they're going to heaven, it's through faith in Jesus that they will get there. And just to read those verses can change somebody's life at the last minute. But let's take a step back now to the events before Jesus arrived on the scene. What was, why did he delay his whole coming? Let's turn back to the beginning of that chapter again. Some of the mourners had said to him, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, why didn't he come earlier? Why didn't he just come earlier when he was still alive? Well, Jesus says in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And there were left in suspense, wondering how will it end in glory for God? Well, the next verse is a real surprise, isn't it? Because um, it says now, uh, uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he rushed off to Judea as fast as he could to heal him. That's what we're expecting, isn't it? But what it says is simply he stayed where he was two more days. Now why would he do that? Well basically so people would believe. Now, if we're Christians we already believe, but it's through events sometimes that our faith is deepened, it's strengthened. Sometimes God allows things to happen to us to deepen our faith, to teach us things about ourselves. Because the stronger our faith, the more he is glorified. You know, Alan talked about that tough time he went through. None of us would choose to go through that, but the Lord uses it to, to strengthen his faith, his reliance on God, to teach him stuff. Jesus was going to, to increase the faith of his disciples, to increase the faith of Mary and Martha, to bring some people to faith in the first, time, first place by performing an amazing miracle. And a miracle which would demonstrate to all of them that saw that not only they have the power over physical death, but a miracle that pointed to his ability to give spiritual life. So look at what happened though, because even though at this stage Martha believes that Jesus gives life, she doesn't really believe that he can bring a dead man back to life. So when Jesus says, take the stone away, the first thing she says is, well, you can't do that, it's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. I remember having a dead animal in our house, we didn't know where it was, it was trapped somewhere in the floorboards, so we got in and couldn't get out. And, uh, it was a pretty bad smell. It was dead. He's been there for four days, Martha says. And there is significance to that because Jesus could have left straight away. It would still have been too late. Lazarus would still be dead. But if he'd only been dead one or two days, people might have said, well, he obviously wasn't really dead. You know, he, these things happen, don't they? You hear stories, people, um, they were in the coffin, they woke up. And there was also, there was also an under, a teaching at that time that um, the spirit of a dead person hung around for three or so days before it finally departed. But to have been dead for four days, he is dead. It's not a question of making him well. And so Jesus says, 
as Martha raises that, that question. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And there is again, the purpose of this is that people would believe, and through believing, have life. So when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now that would have been an amazing sight, wouldn't it? Not like all these films about um, zombies, which seem to be the, uh, the rage these days. This is the real thing. This is a dead person right in front of them. And the effect of that in verse 45 is that many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. They believed. But in terms of God's glory, there's another issue going on here because returning to Judea for Jesus is not just about going back to raise Lazarus from the dead. It was an incredible miracle. But in itself, it didn't deal with death. Because Lazarus would live for a while, but then he would die again. But it was a sign pointing to the far greater thing that Jesus was about to achieve through his own death and resurrection. He was about to achieve eternal life. What his disciples remind him um, when he's told this news is that a short while ago, the Jews there in Judea tried to stone you. You know, why would you want to go back there? You're risking your life. And Jesus answers in verse 9, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, so he has no light. Very strange thing. What, what is he getting at? Is it about the time of day they should set out? You know, don't go by night if you haven't got lights on your bike. No, it's whether we walk by this world's light, or we walk by God's light. In other words, do we follow God's will or the way of the world? Do we do what he wants us to do? Do we follow his plans wherever they may lead? Or do we try and avoid danger and suffering? By going back to Judea, by performing this miracle, Jesus was about to set in train the course of events that would lead to his death. If you look at what happened after the incident in verse 45, many believed but others went to the Pharisees and told them what had happened. And as a result of that, from that day on we're told, they plotted to take Jesus' life. And when the time was ready, Jesus allowed his life to be taken, so that those who believe in him might live. It was the will of God that Jesus followed, that he should die, so that we can be made right with God forever, that we can enjoy eternal life. And that life doesn't start when we die, that life starts now, when we put our faith in Christ and enjoy that relationship with him. And as we do that, God is glorified. How were the grieving sisters changed by Christ through this episode? Well, they were changed as they experienced the tragedy of death and the comfort of Jesus who, who wept with them. 
as they witness the power of Jesus to overcome death and as they grew in their understanding of how belief in Jesus brings eternal life Jesus was willing to die himself that others might live and that's what we're going to celebrate now as we come to the Lord's Supper together and now that this supper is spread before us by God's spirit let us lift up our hearts and minds above all faithless fears and cares and this night this table each of us let these signs and symbols of God's triumph signs of his grace let them be to us an assurance of his living presence Jesus comes to us again and says I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never be hungry that wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus standing at the church symbolically standing at the hearts of his people whom he loves and says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into them and together we will have fellowship and I guess that is echoed here around this table so Ken's going to lead us in thanksgiving as we give thanks now for the bread Father we respond to your invitation to come and celebrate the death of our precious Saviour and Lord as we see this bread that has to be broken before we can take it just as our Lord Jesus has to be broken to achieve that mighty victory Father, we see many broken bodies these days on our TV screens with walls and with the values of the wall. Generally, the broken body means defeat. But not on you, Lord. Lord, Jesus' broken body was the great victory. He wasn't just broken in body, Lord. He was humble. He was contrite. He was broken in spirit. And just as we hear the veterans, great shire horses being useful, Lord, they too have to be broken in their spirit before they can put the wood. So far we come and we take this bread, remembering that our Saviour is prepared to be broken on our behalf, so we use them to win a mighty victory in sin and death and the body. We pray to you, Lord, that we will learn from this example to be prepared to be broken in our spirit and be used in two because you alone, Lord, are worthy. We worship and we praise you. For salvation, Jesus. Amen. So once more, keeping one loaf and in that powerful symbol, breaking it. 
together and seeing our unity in the Lord Jesus. We are one body in Christ Jesus. And so we take of this bread and by faith we feed on Jesus Christ and affirm once more our love for him and our desire to be his true disciples. Feed on him in your hearts by faith. In a moment we could give thanks. Martin's going to lead us in prayer for the cup. And although they are individual cups, yet they represent our unity in the Lord Jesus. We are to receive the cup of blessing. Thank you, Martin. Let's pray. First, a few verses from Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Almighty God, we stand under your merciful grace, redeemed by the blood of your own dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we come with confidence into your presence, the most holy place. We are not worthy and yet you who detest sin invite us with open arms to come before you and to approach you with sincere open and contrite hearts in order that we may receive your loving forgiveness for all of our sins once and for all merciful father forgive us for the things that we have done and the things that we have said to one another that we should not have done and should not have said. Lord, forgive us also for the times when we should have spoken out and for the, when we should have acted in furtherance of your kingdom and yet we shied away from doing so. Father God, you choose to deal with us not as we deserve but instead according to your bountiful grace, your divine mercy and your everlasting love. And for this we are eternally thankful and we praise your holy name. Great is the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Hallelujah. Come Lord Jesus. And to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and Father, to him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. The cup of blessing that we are to receive.
as it's brought to you, please keep the cup and in the spirit and our unity in the Lord Jesus we shall drink of the cup together. Cup of blessing. As often as we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, once more we are proclaiming the Lord's triumphant death for us in our place until he comes again. May we drink of the cup with thanksgiving. So we come to the God of the cross and as we conclude our meeting together we offer our prayers this night for those whom we know and particularly for those who cry out in pain and despair for those who feel forsaken by you and by those they love and for those who even in the last stages of their lives are frightened and alone for them they feel that the shadow of death is so real that they have lost sight of you so we ask Lord Jesus for them and indeed for us what, whatever our circumstances that you would bless them and ourselves this night with the courage that goes beyond fear with that faith that goes beyond doubt the peace that goes beyond terror the life of Jesus that goes beyond death and the love that never abandons that Lord we might rise with you in that great resurrection and we think of our lives as we've listened and shared tonight thinking of what Alan has brought to us from his personal experience we realize that healing doesn't mean curing and all of us have issues physically emotionally and spiritually we pray for your healing and renewing grace and not only for ourselves but for those whom in your great providence have brought into our lives and as our paths are crossed so there's been that wonderful mutual enriching and we commend once more to your care and your safety and your grace John and Abby we thank you for this timely visit for them and we pray for your people scattered in many parts of the world some today worshipping in war zones of which are inconceivable to us we pray that we might feel and know that we are part of that living church of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world of every language and tribe and people and nation there are those who confess that you are Lord and we gladly do that now and ask that you would graciously hear all our prayers our praise and our thanksgiving for the glory of your name Amen, Amen. 
So without assurance of that grace then in a moment we are going to share this grace and give thanks for God's constant goodness and kindness to us. We stand, Lord Jesus, in the cool of the evening. May your Holy Spirit come again to us as we began the day so with renewed vitality quickening and stirring of your spirit that this week we will go out to live and to serve with a deeper assurance that you are with us we thank you for the giving of your people in all sorts of ways the gifts that you have richly blessed us with guide us in all of our stewardship of time and money and much else Lord in your mercy would you hear all our prayers and so may we share in the grace may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore Amen, Amen.